Anyway, Church, it's great to be here this morning. Uh, my name's Rhiannon, I'm part of the team here, and um, we're going to carry on looking at this series called Influence, and today we're going to look at family, family and how that can be uh, an influence and how we're called to influence family. But when Si and I have been preparing about this, we were really mindful of the fact that perhaps more than any other area of influence that we've looked at, we've looked at things like media and education and business, but but finance, ca- um, finance can be re- family. We looked at, sorry, I was thinking about Rob Allen and business. There we go. Um, and his, whenever you think Rob Allen, you think finance. So there we go. Um, but the thing about family is that family can be really polarizing. And we were so mindful of that as we've been praying about things that for some of you, you absolutely love your family. Your family's the best thing. You, you just, you prioritize family over everything else. But for others of you, family can bring up a lot of emotions that perhaps are not emotions that you like. Uh, you know, maybe you've been betrayed by your family. Maybe the very people that were supposed to look after you broke that trust. Uh, maybe family for you is not something that you want to look at that much. Or maybe you, you love family, but actually you're missing people. Maybe there's people that have um, died. Maybe you're um, you know, bereft of people within your family. And so we are really mindful that family can be a polarizing topic. But you see, the thing is, I would go as far to say that all of the other areas that we've covered, I think God's intention is that they start within family. Because when we look through the Bible and we look at the importance of family and even just the genealogies of how God names family members within, within the Bible, we realize that actually God is passionate about family. Because it's family where you first make your mistakes. It's family where you learn who you are. It's family where you're known. It's family where people should be drawing things out of you and, and saying, hey, you're good at this. Why don't you do this? It's family where it's safe to make a mistake and learn. That's what family should be about. And so actually, it's family where you first, perhaps somebody says to you, you'd be really good in business or, or you're really good at teaching. Why don't you go into education? And it's out of the, the, the family, I believe, that that's where we find our potential. And so we're we're faced with a bit of tension for a lot of us, maybe, if if you don't find family an easy topic, that you could switch off from this. And we want to encourage you today to not do that. And even if your family is great, don't switch off and think you've got it sorted either. Because I believe God's got a bigger picture of family for us as a church to grasp. And that's what we want to look at today. And I I, I want you to um, turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 9. And it's a story that's fairly well known about King David. We know David because David and Goliath fame. But in chapter 9 of 2 Samuel, we find David is finally king of Israel. And the backstory to this was that he was not uh, naturally born to be king of Israel. He wasn't uh, in a dynasty that that was the king of Israel. In fact, the previous king, Saul, um, had a son, Jonathan, who should have been king. But God had different plans. Saul, if you want to go back in the story, uh, basically stepped away from God and God decided to raise up a different king. And David was that different king anointed of God. And it took many years. But here we find in chapter 9 that David is sat on the throne. Saul has died. Jonathan has died. And David loved Jonathan. They were like brothers. And uh, we pick up the story in chapter 9. And David turns to his people and says, David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul. 
Now that would have been a really common thing to ask because, you know, in this kind of tumultuous time period in history that whenever there was a new kingdom, if anyone of you have watched TV or read anything or done any history, you'll know one of the first things that a new king would do is they would get rid of anybody who possibly had a claim to the throne. And they might even get rid of any of the staff members who were very loyal to the previous king because they were a threat. And so it's quite a normal question for David to ask, is there anybody left of Saul's household? But what follows is, is not normal. Because David then says, is there anyone still left of this house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, if that were me and I was one of his advisors, I would have said, hang on a second, David, this is not a great way to start your reign. Do you remember those teachers that at school always wanted to be your friend and they always wanted to be the nice, cool, hip teachers? They always used to, at my school, have a horrible time. You know, the ones that came in and were like strict and made you terrified and eased up towards Easter, like they were much better because they had control of the class. And I'd have been saying that to David. I'd be saying, you shouldn't be looking like you're a nice king till five years into your reign. This is going to make you look soft. Okay, you need to get rid of anybody who is a potential threat. But David doesn't do that. He says, is there anyone that I can show kindness to on behalf of the friendship that I had with Jonathan? And it turned out that there was a servant of Saul's there who said, yes, actually, there is a son left of Jonathan. So a grandson of Saul. He is lame in both feet. And David says, where is he? And uh, Zebar, the servant, said, he's at the house of Machiah, son of uh, Am- um I've picked a really rubbish thing for, for, for pronunciations today, haven't I? Emil in Lodabar. Everyone say Lodabar. Lodabar. Now, Lodabar, when you look at it, means no word, no communication, and no pasture. So we have a grandson of a previous king in exile, lame. So there would have been no social security for him there, vulnerable, in a place of no communication, no word, no pasture, totally cut off. Can you imagine how his life had flipped? His, grand, his granddad died. His father died on his own in a place called Lodabar. And then he gets this call to come and see the king. And he must have been pretty terrified. And he comes to see David. And David just says to him this, don't be afraid. Surely I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you will always eat at my table. And later on, if we go down, it says, So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And later it says, And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and he was lame in both feet. And I've always thought it was really strange. I remember reading it as a a younger and thinking, Why did he want to stay in the king's table? He'd just been given all of what we would imagine would be quite a vast amount of land, maybe some buildings, and yet he chose to stay at the king's table. He could have had his own table. He could have been lord of his own manor, but yet he chose to stay at the king's table. And, and, and I could never really get my head round why that was. But I think what it was was because more than anything else, more than the land, more than the money, more than the titles, what he craved was a seat at the table. He craved a family that would take him in and give him that seat at the table. You see, the thing about sitting around a table is it's a great leveler, isn't it? But you can't hide at a table. There's this kind of community. You're seen, you're known. You can't be in the background at a table because you're surrounded by people. And I just wonder if Mephibosheth, when he was in Lodabar, 
was so cut off, was so low, was so worried, was so uh, felt threatened that when he came in and to be known as one of the king's sons essentially and have a seat at the table, he said, this is what I've craved. More than the land, more than the money, I've just craved a seat at the table. And you know, we believe that each and every one of us are wired to crave a seat at a table, to crave a seat at a table. And the thing is, maybe your biological table, your biological upbringing wasn't exactly how you wanted it to be. Maybe you weren't noticed at the table. Maybe you weren't invited to the table. Maybe you felt like you've always had to make it on your own. But the beauty about family is exactly what David grasped, is that it doesn't really matter whether you're related or not. Family is very simply whoever you set your table for. Whoever you set your table for can be your family. And that's why I think Mephibosheth didn't want to leave. He was seen as one of the king's sons. This cripple, who was possibly really should have been seen as an enemy, was invited in to the family. Family is who you set your table for. And that's what we want to look at today. You know, we, we have set a table here. And we're going to invite three of our friends up, Nick, Esther, and Logan. And they will each share with you how perhaps the, the table set for them growing up wasn't ideal. It wasn't exactly what they wanted. But I tell you, you're going to be moved by what they do with their lives right now. You're going to be challenged by what they do and challenged by their approach to family and how they're making a difference and how they're impacting other people. And, and you will go away, I believe, realizing that family is bigger than we've got any idea of. Family's who we set our table for. So what I'd really love us to do, because these guys don't no normally stand up here, they don't normally share, and also they're sharing some quite personal stuff. I would love it if we could stand and honor them before they shared, encourage them, give them a great big C3 welcome as we welcome Nick, Esther, and Logan to the stage, the side. Fantastic. That's great. Hello. Well, you guys can grab your seats. Thank you so much. Um, those of you who don't know who I am, my name's Sai. I'm, I'm married to Rhiannon. Um, I, I, I wrote my notes, at least I thought I wrote my notes. I was married with two children. I was checking over them uh, last night. A small typo can make a big difference. That I was marred with two children. Um, <laughs> But I can promise you that it was, a, it was no sort of subconscious well, actually, mistake. actually, after this week, it does feel... <laughs> children Ill are, this week. <laughs> are a blessing from God, and we, we believe that we're so lucky. So we have two children together, a sort of three-year-old and an eight-month-old. Um, but this is not about us. Uh, you're not going to hear very much from, from us. Hopefully, you're going to hear some from our friends. I'll introduce them in a moment. Um, I don't get to speak much at my own dining table at home, so it's going to be very much like... <laughs> Like every other do you know, meal time. Do you know, I feel I need to come back on it. He always paints this picture of this strong, silent, still waters run deep. Somebody once told me, still waters are just still waters. So there we go. <laughs> so brutal. So brutal. Anyway, let me introduce you to some of our, our friends. This is, this is Nick. Everyone give Nick a hand. We, uh, we met Nick and Becky uh, through our kids, really, about three years ago when we had our first daughter. Um, I went along to, uh, to a baby massage class, dads and baby massage. I thought that sounds absolutely wonderful. I'm gonna lie back, my baby's gonna lie back. <laughs> We're gonna get a massage. It was, I, I genuinely thought that's what it was and then I, 
<laughs> it wasn't as relaxing as that for me, but it was on a wonderful bonding experience. And Becky runs a business um, doing, doing that for, for parents. It's, it was fantastic. And that's how we met Becky. And, and Nick also runs, runs a business of his own as well. And they've got two wonderful kids. And they've just been so gracious, so hospitable. We've loved getting to know them over the last couple of years. And we've become friends with them. And, and that's been wonderful. So that's, that's Nick. And then um, this is Logan. Everyone give a hand to Logan. <laughs> He's our resident American in the place. Um, hopefully that'll excite some. He's, he's still learning some of the cultural differences. Uh, I'll tell you this, uh, this story came around to us for, for New Year's Eve. And um, it was, we had a wonderful time. And as you do at New Year's Eve, it gets to that time at midnight where all of a sudden everyone joins around and starts singing a song that not many people know the words to. Um, and we're all, singing this, we're all singing this song. Many of you will know which song it is. But at the end of it, he grabs us and said, what, why, why are we singing about an old man's eye? <laughs> I was like... So he's still got a lot of cultural learning to do, but he's a resident American, and he's going to share a little bit about his, his story as well. So thank you, Logan. And um, Esther, let's give a hand for Esther. Esther's. <laughs> now, Esther's been a C3 for around a year in Cambridge, and I've only got to know her in that time really uh, well, but um, Rhiannon's known Esther for like forever, so I feel it would be probably better if you introduce Esther. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've known each other. We grew up together. Um, I was trying to work out when we first, our families first met, our, our mums are really good friends. And I think my mum said the first time she met your mum was when she was pregnant with you. So that shows how long, long ago it is. Um, we come from Wellingborough, um, which no one has, it never gets any response, Wellingborough doesn't. <laughs> poor, poor place, hey. Um, but yeah, we, we go a long way back, don't we? And Esther was really quiet when we we're brought up, if you can believe it. So I feel like she's trying to cram a lot of words in now to her life to make up for... <laughs> anyway, yeah, we're probably not great sitting together. So I will interrupt us when needed. But anyway, the Esther. There we go. <laughs> so Esther, um, tell us a little bit um, about what it was like for you growing up. Um... Hello. Oh, yeah. Um, so I grew up in a Christian home. I have one sister who's four years older than me and is, in essence, the exact same person, but she has straight hair. That's literally the difference between us. Um, and so my, just some background of my family before I came along. Um, my mum is from Barbados, and she moved here with her family when um, she was a child. Um, and my dad is English, and he has siblings as well. And... Um, and basically, when my parents got together, it was a time when it was still relatively um, odd for there to be mixed marriages. So my dad's family, roughly half of them, just refused to come to the wedding and just weren't very happy with him marrying, um, marrying into a black family. Um, and so, yeah, I didn't have any family on my mum's side because they all still lived in the Caribbean. Um, and my dad's family were kind of estranged from us. Um, and then, kind of moving forward, growing up and stuff, um, I was roughly about six or seven years old when I realized that our family dynamic was quite different from the rest of my friends, um, in that my dad has some mental health issues that created quite a chaotic environment growing up. Um, he was quite violent, very volatile, and I hadn't realized that that's not how all dads were until I'd started like having play dates and going to other people's houses and realized that um, that, that kind of wasn't the norm. Um, but through what was quite a 
tough upbringing. One saving grace was my sister. Um, we're incredibly close. She's incredible. And, um, and yeah, that, that's probably been one of my saviors kind of growing up. And so, um, Nick, thank you, yeah. Nick, do you want to tell us a little bit about your upbringing? Um, so, yeah, I have a lot of happy memories of my childhood, but um, it was not without its challenges. My parents were under a lot of pressure. Um, my mum had some really quite severe mental health problems, which meant that she sort of drifted in and out of our lives quite a lot and when she drifted back in it'd often be bringing a lot of chaos and um, yeah just unsettledness with her um, you kind of look at other people's lives around you and you don't like to admit that your your family's any different so you know when for instance we'd be out and People would be talking about curfews, you know, or what time you got to be in, what time you got to be in, oh, I've got to be in at 11. And you'd be like, well, I haven't got a curfew, but um, yeah, 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 my parents want me in at 11 as well. And, you know, just, just to sort of like fit in with everything. So it was all, yeah, it was, it was quite challenging. Um, but yeah, got through it. <laughs> yeah, wow. That's, oh, that's so powerful because, I mean, obviously, like, kids grow up and they, they, they sort of they think they want to be one thing and they don't realise what they don't have. As someone who just perhaps wants them, wants them home at a certain time and that's so, so precious, actually, when, when it's not there. But, um, I mean, you sort of talked about chaos and inconsistency, but you're a father, right? So um, how has your father's two beautiful boys now, Teddy and, and Barney, like, how has that impacted the way that you've set out to parent them? Yeah, so um, me and B, we... We, we just surround our boys with love, basically. They, they know, there's absolutely no doubt that they know that they're loved. It's, it's, it's the very last thing that they're told before they go to sleep every evening. It's the very first thing that I tell them when I come home from work. Um, That's great. And, you know, we have our roles. Um, I sort of make a point of always getting up with them in the morning and, and uh, I put them to bed at night and and Becky does everything else in between. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, uh, <laughs> Round of applause for Becky. Yeah. <laughs> the unsung hero in many respects, I'm, I'm sure. But uh, it's so refreshing, though, to hear just how um, deliberate you are with, with love. The, the big L word, I think, historically, particularly traditionally, um, sort of strong father is one who's perhaps slightly emotionally distant and perhaps doesn't get his, their hands dirty. It's just it's been so um, it's been it's been inspiring watching just how hands-on you are, but also just how loving you are. How how you're not afraid to just like you know you're just very tactile. You want to show Teddy and Barney that they're so loved. And I think that's so so relevant, so important today. So it's such a role model. So thank you for that. Um, so uh, Esther, obviously you've come such a long way from from where you were. What enabled you to not let that experience of the past dictate your expectations for your future and how family's going to be for you? Um, I think that, um, yeah, so thinking about this in the last couple of weeks, I feel quite overwhelmed with, like, the goodness of God in providing for my family exactly what we needed um, when we needed it. And so there were two families who were really key in our lives that we met through our church. And um, as Rhiannon said, um, our mothers met whilst my mum was pregnant with me. And I remember her telling me 
that in the decision-making process, because they were moving into the area and deciding which church to go to, she met Amanda and um, thought, gosh, if this church has, is full of people like this lady who are so interested in our life and interested in our children and so caring and welcoming, then this is a church that I could be a part of. Um, and so from the first time they met, my, uh, my mum connected with her and, and felt that welcome and this, that hospitality. Um, but that kind of, I don't have many kind of childhood memories that don't involve the Harrises. From being tutored by Richard and Amanda to dinner to um, Andrew picking me up for school in the morning so my mum could go to work, like all the way through. Um, Amanda was my first boss. She gave me my first job and she was mean. And, uh, no, she wasn't. She wasn't. She's great. Um, but like all through, through spending summers together and things like that, um, just an incredible openness to have us be part of their lives and their family. And even down to like a couple of years ago, if I was in a pickle and I thought, who in my life would kind of go out of their way to help me? I'm pretty sure I could have called Andrew and Amanda. And if they could have helped me, absolutely they would have done because they're those kinds of people. Um, and the other family were um, a family who were from Barbados as well as my mum. She didn't know them there, but met them once we were here, at, well, in Wellingborough. And, um, and they were great. They had grandchildren the same age as my sister and I, and they were just like a group of people who understood the culture and the food, and that really helped my mum to find family in the church. Um, and people that preferred KFC to like the fish and chip shop and who, um, who just like got kind of the Caribbean side of our culture was really, really key for us growing up, I think, to kind of feel connected to both sides um, and for my mum to feel like she had people in common with her. So that was really great. Um, and just people who didn't hold what they had and, and shut the door and keep it for themselves, but who just opened it wide, opened their hearts, opened their family, um, set a table for us to come and, and join them in what they were doing was That's incredible. And I would just add though as well that um, it really enriched our lives growing up. And I mean, I remember crying because we always used to hang out with the Worrells, the other family as well, that my hair wouldn't do what theirs would. And my mum was trying to, because if you've seen our daughter, Brooke, she's got like fluffy, wispy hair and I was, wanted it braided. Real and struggles. Real <laughs> <struggles>. <laughs> yeah. um, and you know, it just, just a small story, but it really enriched our lives as well. And yeah, it's great. That's great. I mean, it's such a powerful story of how like the, your family isn't necessarily constrained to the immediate biological family, but you can just find family anywhere outside of that, and people taking you in, and you feeling a part of something beyond those those constraints. So that's that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And um, hey, so Logan, we, we've spoken, we've got to know each other a little bit, and you've got an amazing story about how God really turned around your family. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Hey, y'all. Um, I didn't say that first ever, so I wanted to get the y'all out there. So been waiting. <laughs> it's on tape. You got it. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, um, when I was one, or sorry, my mom and my bio dad uh, had me, and uh, when I was one, they uh, they broke up. Uh, they weren't married. Um, my mom married when I was six, and had my little brother Jonas, and uh, that marriage lasted about six years. Um, and in between that time, you know, I would see my bio dad until I was about 10, um, once a summer for about two weeks. But when I hit 10, um, uh, just kind of stopped seeing me, um, phone calls and all that kind of stopped. Um, and then when I was 12, they, uh, my first stepdad and my mom went through a divorce. 
And uh, it was hard. Um, during that time, that's when uh, I developed uh, OCD, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, literally thought, like if I thought a thought, I had to do that. Um, so I started taking medication during that time. Um, but during that time as well, uh, got depressed um, and was very depressed for about two years. But uh, at the same time, my friend Eric Burns, he invited me to a church called Bethel Baptist. And on Wednesdays, we would go to Awana, and at, I just felt at home. I felt at peace. Um, OCD didn't bother me there. I had fun. And uh, um, for two years, uh, I had been doing that. And then finally, seventh grade, uh, during a church service, uh, the, my pastor, Pastor Tim, was talking to me about, or not me, but the whole congregation, uh, saying, you know, you might not have the best earthly father, um, but you have a heavenly father that loves you, cares for you, yeah. died for you, won't yell at you or hit you. And uh, that was the day uh, I decided I wanted to get baptized and give my life to Christ. Amazing. That's so. fantastic. Wow. That's such a powerful story. So much change happened. And then, but that, that was a real pivotal moment, right? And then things really changed dramatically from that point on. Why don't you just tell us a bit about what happened then? So I forgot to mention this in first service, but after I got baptized individually. Um, I stopped taking the medication for my OCD. Wow. Um, my depression went away and OCD didn't bother me anymore. Um, and uh, uh, my mom met a guy named Todd Davis and uh, good they, they started dating for about a year, year and a half. And uh, my mom came to me when I was about eighth grade and said, hey, I want to Todd has proposed to me, but I don't want to accept another man into your life if, you're, uh, if it's a no from you. Right. And she told me, and I said, yeah, I want that guy to be my dad. So wow. we, uh, they got married, and we got baptized as a family. That's fantastic. Wow. Such an amazing story of restoration of a family, and, and you, yeah, that's just really powerful. And you got from there on in, it was all, it was all great, right? Uh, yeah, for those who also don't know, I wasn't always Logan Davis, um, I was Logan Andrews. But after first year of university or college, what I like to call it, um, we uh, uh, my mom came to me and said, Hey, would you, you've talked about it before, but do you want to do it? And I was like, Yeah, I want Todd to legally adopt me. Wow. And I changed my last name. That's great. That's great. So, um, obviously, you're, you're far away from home now. Like, uh, you're all the way on the other side of the world. How, how have you found that moving to another country, you're able to sort of still connect with family? Or what does family mean for you now you're here? So, yes. So, it's been difficult being, you know, 4,000 miles away uh, from my immediate family. Um, you know, we, st we Skype, Facebook call uh, about once a week now. Um, but since being here, uh, but because of all that that's happened in my life, um, you know, statistics would probably say, like, I should grow up just kind of like how my bio dad and stepdad raised me, right? But I was like, if anybody knows me, I want to be the best dad and husband one day. So, I joined the kids' team church and... And, uh, you know, I, I've, since Kids Church, uh, I've met, you know, Nick, 
who's take me in just like family. Um, we uh, went on a Legoland trip back in <laughs> March. Yeah. But with yeah, with, with, with the, the kids, kids. With, with the, the kids. kids. Yeah, yeah. I forgot. Sure. I, forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I think Logan has a season pass to Legoland. <laughs> All the best relationships start at Legoland. I think that's what I've heard. <laughs> But, <laughs> but you guys hang out now, right? Quite a lot. Yes. Uh, Nick, what was it? Back in May when my family came over from the UK, uh, he invited me to his house and said, hey, do you want to go on the boat? And we had lunch together. And he, um, one of my favorite memories on that trip was uh, my, uh, my brother and I on, on the boat. And it, it means a lot. Yeah. Wow. It's just, yeah. These guys are like family. Um, thank you. I appreciate. It. Like these guys would be vulnerable. Um, they'll they'll continue, you know they'll share stuff and, and I think it's just it's a real honor for us to sort of for them to do that. So thank you so much. But Nick, what prompted you to like open up your home for Logan? Um, yeah, Logan and I met on the Legoland trip with the kids. <laughs> yeah, with the kids. Um, and Logan like really made an effort to talk to me and we got chatting and and he sort of mentioned that um that his mum worried that he was so far away from home perhaps he didn't have a social network and um and I just thought well we can we can help with that so so we invited him over and and you know he comes over he plays with Ted Ted loves Logan um, for a long time, he thought Logan was Buzz Lightyear. Um, <laughs> I, th so I think the Logan thinks that Logan is Buzz <laughs> yeah. Lightyear. So, so he comes over and we, we eat together. You know, we break bread at home together. Um, we, we do Lego together with this. Um, and, and I always make a point of taking a picture and sticking it on Facebook so his mum sees that, you know, that he's got a family here that care about him. And, um, yeah... I mean, we're, we're blessed. The, my kids are blessed to have Logan as a friend. We're blessed as a family to have him as part of our family. That's great. And what a, that's such a role model of being hospitable and just opening up your family uh, for somebody else who perhaps is a long way away from, from their family or perhaps doesn't have a family for such another reason so that they can find a home away from home. That's just such a beautiful picture. And, um, yeah, I mean, and, and Logan, you, you recognize that in other people, right? So Logan's... Part of young adults at C3, and for those who don't know, myself and my wife were the young adults. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, obviously, for, for, for young adults, um, they can come to the city, it's a new city to them. Maybe they're coming for work, maybe they're coming for study, maybe they're just moving for some other reason. But you can find yourself being quite lonely. You, it's, a lot of people look at young adults and they're quite social, but you know, there's a big difference between being surrounded by a whole bunch of people and actually finding support from a few people. And um, just tell us a little bit, Logan, about what you've done, because you recognize that, that, that need, and in general, people come and they don't have necessarily places to connect. You, you saw that and you've done something about it. What did you do? Uh, so, yes, uh, how it started was uh, I just... <laughs> uh, I had saw, seen on Instagram uh, a couple of ladies hanging out, and I, just like one time, but I got jealous. <laughs> I wanted to have guys night, so I made a Facebook message group called uh, Saturdays are for the boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but some people weren't keen on that, and they heard the stories like, 
why weren't we invited? <laughs> like, so we decided to make a page called Saturdays are for everyone or safe. Yes, <laughs> safe. So, um, but we post on it once a week or so, at least once a week, saying like, hey, these are activities we're doing, whether it's uh, someone's going away, uh, we're going out, karaoke <laughs> I love karaoke, but <laughs> I know. But uh, we're trying to explain to Logan that karaoke is not like a thing, but you're trying to make it a thing. It, it is a thing. You, you're bringing it, is, it, it back. It is bringing a thing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and ever since then, um, I feel like just young adults has really molded, and now it's like expected. It's like, why aren't we like doing something on the week or every every other week? That's great, and that's just uh, an example of how. You can set a metaphorical table for people who perhaps don't have one, and it's it's a place where you don't have to be part of a, the social group already. It's just it's open to everyone, right? If you come along, no existing co like connection, come make one. That's uh, and that's fantastic. So thank you for doing that because I think it's really enriched uh, the lives of a whole bunch of young adults, enable them to connect on a deeper level. So that's so good. Um, Esther, you, you you've been here like only a year, and yet I think everyone feels like they've known you for forever. You've got stuck in so quickly. She taught so much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you my life story real quick. Catch you up. Oh, yeah? Then we've known I, each other. I highly, I not highly now, doubt not you now. can. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I mean, you, you know, you've, you've been around only a year. You've got so stuck in. You're, you're on staff here at C3. You've made so many connections. Um, I just want to ask you, as somebody who's come here to the city, perhaps not know, only knowing maybe one or two people, what advice would you give to somebody who comes and perhaps doesn't have that? How can you encourage what would encouragement would you give them to enable them to connect deeper to find their family here? Um, I think that C3 Church make it really easy for a start um, for you to feel part of things by the, the way that we do things. Um, but I think I realized kind of in contemplating moving because um, I moved to work here and it was quite quick from getting the job to moving here. Um, and I, I decided to just put in everything and, and realize that I kind of will get out of it as much as I put in. And if I want to create home and create family here, then, um, then that involves me kind of putting myself out there a bit, even though it's out of my comfort zone and it's not, I'm not super fond of massive groups of people. Um, if I could get past that kind of discomfort, then I'd really find something that was worth sticking around for and, and worth getting stuck into. Um, another thing, if you want to be part of the safe group, come let Logan know. He'll add you on Facebook. Um, but yeah, the two things that I think were really key for me were becoming part of a C3 group, um, to find people to do life with, find people to share stuff with who I know pray for me and stuff like that, and, and just, yeah, who just know what's going on in my world. But also to be part of a team here. Um, I think that it's really hard to feel at home or to feel part of the family when you don't own what we're part of. Right. So as a church, like it's your church as much as it's our church or right. the staff's church or Steve and Angie's church. And if, if you're part of a team and you're working towards a common goal, it just really helps you to feel like this is home and you feel settled and part of the family here. So yeah. Wow, that's great, yeah. And I think that's it's, what's great is that you didn't wait for someone to set the table for you. Um, you know, you, 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 had, you maybe knew one or two people, but you, you chose to set the table for others. And I think that's, that's fantastic. You, as you said, you get out what, what you put in. And that's been really inspiring and encouraging to, to see. And I think hopefully it can be an encouragement to others that if they don't have those connections already, why can't they start? That's, why can't they lay the table for others and, and lead the way in that? So thank you. 
listen, we could talk all day, like these, particularly, particularly Esther, she could talk all day. Um, but uh, I just want to, I just wanted to forget to thank these guys for being open, being vulnerable, sharing their story with us. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, and it just goes to show that um, family it doesn't necessarily have to be what you expect. It doesn't necessarily be what you've experienced before, what you feel you should or could have had. It's, it's who you set your table for. So this is who we've chosen to set our table for today. And I hope that it's inspired you guys about family can be far more than what you think it should be. Okay, thank you. I hope to you. Aaron. I just want us to take a moment as the band start to play. Because I just want, we, we couldn't sit and listen to all that without having some time to reflect on things. And, and that whole idea of the table and, and who you are setting your table for. And I want to ask you that question, who are you setting a table for in your life? And sometimes we can worry about what we put on the table. It needs to be called on blur food and all that. It, it doesn't, you know. Mephibosheth was given land and money, but all he wanted to be was just in the presence of a family. And that's what people crave. And there's people that will be sitting here around here who are craving connection, and you could be the answer to the connection that they're craving. Who are you going to set your table for? Do you know maybe there's people that are already at your table that God is challenging you to be a little bit more deliberate about? Maybe you've got kids. Do you know one of the things that we've been reading about recently is that only one in two children brought up in a faith family in church, attending church, actually stick it when they grow up. One in two, that's 50%. That's a rubbish statistic. And it's not acceptable. And you see, I think sometimes we can, as parents, think, well, it's fine. They go to church on Sunday. Kids' church will do it. That's not enough. All the research says it's parents that are the key indicator. Kids' church is great, but they can't do it in 35 minutes, what you can do seven days a week. Maybe there's kids around your table that you need to show them a little bit more about your faith. What does it look like? And be intentional about setting a table for them where they can fail, where they can be safe, where they can push out in faith, where they can do things. Maybe that's something that you need to do. Maybe you feel like Mephibosheth and you're waiting for a David to come and rescue you and set a table for you. And sometimes that happens, but sometimes it doesn't. And I love Esther's story. You know, she, she's great cook. So that's what she does. She cooks for people. And she set a table when perhaps she was the only one on there and I hope people would come. Maybe if you're feeling like Mephibosheth, rather than waiting for someone to set you a table, maybe you could look and think, well, maybe I'll set a table and see who comes to my table. Because I guarantee you when you set a table, you come away probably even more blessed than those people that you set a table for. And we can set tables for people because ultimately Jesus has set a table for us. We've celebrated communion today. We've celebrated the fact that when Jesus died, it gave us opportunity to become adopted into his family. And so no matter what our biological family is like, we can be part of a heavenly family, as Logan so eloquently put. And you today, if you're feeling lost, I want to encourage you that Jesus has set a table for you.
He's set a table where you can come and sit and get your feet under the table and you can be part of his family and you can take part in his inheritance. You can take part in his influence because that's why he came 2,000 years ago to die on a cross and to rise again so that you could be part of his table, so you could be part of his family. And I just wonder if we can bow our heads and close our eyes because I just want to give you an opportunity for those of you who've perhaps never said, I want to be part of Jesus' table. I want to be part of his family. And I want to give you an opportunity to join with some people who responded earlier in the day to say, yes, I want to sit at the ultimate king's table. I want to be known as part of that family. I want to be seen. I want to be heard. I want to be treasured. We're going to say a prayer right now. And afterwards, I'm going to give you an opportunity to put your hand up and respond. And we want to give you a gift because we're a family here. And one thing, I, I, adore, I adore Christmas. You can tell from my skirt. <laughs> we give presents. And we want you to, when you feel like you want to become part of our family, we want to give you a gift that's going to help you on your way. So church, we can say this prayer together. Dear Jesus. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for letting me become. Thank you for letting me become part of your family. Part of your family. Today I choose. Today I choose to come and sit at your table. To come and sit at your table. Forgive me for my past. Forgive me for my past. Thank you for coming back to life. Thank you for coming back to life. So that I can have a great future. So that I can have a great future. Amen. 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 Just whilst we keep our heads bowed, if anybody here said that as a first time decision or maybe you've wandered away from the table and today you're like, I need to get back on that chair, feet under the table, would you just raise your hands for me whilst every eye is closed apart from me and a couple of others so we can just give you a gift. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Somebody down the front here as well. Amen. And I just want to come back to a challenge of who you're going to set the table for. And I'd just love to pray with any of you here that are saying, I'd like to set a table. Don't know who for. Maybe you do. But I'm just going to ask you just to raise your hands if you decided. I'm going to start setting some more tables in my world because I'd love to pray for you. Thank you. And I'm asking you to raise your hand more as an accountability thing. Sometimes when we do something physical, it makes us a little bit more determined to do that. There's lots of hands going up around here. Imagine if each and every one of us really set some great tables, the lives that could be impacted, the children's 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 children that could be impacted because of this, because ultimately people are the only legacy that matter. Jesus, we pray for every hand raised here and we're thanking you already for the lives that they will represent, the changes that will be wrought because they have set a table. They've set a table maybe when they're hurting, maybe when they're needing, but nevertheless, they have set a table. And we pray, God, for divine appointments. We pray, God, for families to be made that perhaps don't look like a, a family does, but they totally just love one another, God. And they, we pray, God, that out of these tables, out of these families, will become people of influence, God. That they will influence society, be that education, be that business, be that uh, politics, musicians, whatever. God, that we would be people of influence because we've got safe, connected family where we can belong. God, I'm so excited to hear some more stories in the future of lives that are changed. Amen.